Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. early time in my career after I'd kind of gone well I'm here I'm on set I've got this part it's great this is how it's going to be for the rest of my career when it wasn't when it hit the skids and I thought right I need a different approach or I I want to pursue voiceovers or being funny it forced me to just rethink how to do that Welcome to another episode of the In the Envelope podcast from Backstage. Listen, listeners, it's a busy week here at Backstage, given that today, the day I'm recording this, January 12th, is the day of the Screen Actors Guild Award nominations. One of the biggest days of the year for your trusty awards editor. And this is also, it, it kind of just feels like the starting gun, the, you know, kickoff to film, film and Guild's award season. This week was also the recently announced Golden Globe wins. Uh, The Critics' Choice nominations have also been postponed. I will say already we are having an unusual award season, what with the Critics' Choice ceremony being indefinitely postponed and the Golden Globes being a rather more muted affair this year with an untelevised ceremony that only released results via Twitter. But you can read all about those nominations, those results, and today's, or if you're listening to this on the 13th, yesterday's SAG Award nominations on Backstage.com. We at Backstage, of course, love highlighting and celebrating those since they're the highest honors for and by actors, which, of course, includes ensembles. On the TV side, our good friends at Ted Lasso did really well, and so did the folks over at Succession. Those were the two leaders of the comedy and drama SAG nominations. And then over on the film side, outstanding performance by cast in a motion picture. I mean, this was especially competitive this year. This is a really tight race, and these five nominees are very well-deserved, and there were tons that didn't make the cut, but the five that are up for the SAG Ensemble Prize are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, House of Gucci, and King Richard. Oh, I'm excited about this race. I'm excited about all of these contenders. Here we are in award season. It's 2022, whether we're ready or not. But... For today, speaking of those Critics' Choice nominations, we have the great Kay Van Novak, comedian, writer, director, producer, voice, not just voiceover actor, voiceover artist, like voice genius. In his native UK, he's known for doing a bunch of sketch comedy, and I guess we can call it the genre of prank call comedy, given his award-winning show Phone Jacker. But of course, he's nominated for a Critics' Choice Award for FX's What We Do in the Shadows from Jermaine Clement, one of my favorite TV shows, a horror comedy mockumentary uh, on which he plays Nandor the Relentless. There's some really great stuff in this interview uh, about Nandor, you know, how to find yourself in characters like him, how to find yourself in the audition room and, and kind of develop your skills as an artist early in your career, but also develop your your actual authentic personality early in your career. Kay Van gave like 
really great, I, I would say even vulnerable insights into that process. And he also touched on his audition philosophy, which includes an app that he is developing to help working actors everywhere with their self-tapes. So there's a lot of really great stuff here. This is the ideal backstage interview. Kayvan, thank you for being a loyal listener of In the Envelope. If you're listening to this, thank you for joining us. And so without further ado, let's get to this amazing interview after a quick break with Kayvan Novak. This podcast is, of course, brought to you, listeners, by Backstage. Listen, aside from all the great inspiration and tips and all of that stuff we offer for free, like this amazing podcast, Backstage also gives you access to incredible casting calls all over the world. That is why it's the world's number one casting platform. If you're curious or if you're an actor yourself and you really want to jumpstart your career and you're ready to take the advice and the inspiration you've heard here in this very episode and use it, go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E. That's, again, 30 days completely free to try backstage where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start browsing the casting notices, and start applying to jobs because who knows, maybe one day I'll be interviewing you. Again, that's backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. Actor, writer, director, and voiceover artist Kay Van Novak is best known for playing vampire Nandor the Relentless on FX's mockumentary What We Do in the Shadows for three hilarious seasons. A BAFTA TV award winner for Phone Jacker, the British comedy he created and starred in, he's also appeared in Syriana, Four Lions, and last year's Cruella. Let's go now to the brilliant Kay Van Novak. Kevin, I'm so thrilled to be. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've I've I listened to your uh, podcast quite a bit with my um, my partner. She's always putting it on, going, "Oh, Hugh Grant did his podcast. You want to listen to it?" I was like, "Okay." That's so cool to hear. Yeah. How are you doing? Congratulations on season four of What We Do in the Shadows on your Critics' Choice nomination. How's everything going? Thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, I mean that was. Uh, that was a lovely thing to hear on a Monday morning. It was a weird day as well because um, my co-star and good friend Harvey Guillen uh, mm. managed to get stuck in um, Quebec, I think. His sister was coming to visit him and he went to Quebec and he got snowed in. So I thought oh. I had Monday off. And then I get an email, kind of, I kind of wake up. And I'm like, oh, no, someone sent me an email a <laughs> Sunday morning at two in the morning. I'm like, What? You're needed on Monday. What? <laughs> so, yeah, it turned out he was stuck in, in Quebec. And um, then I get a text from someone at FX saying, you've been nominated. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I was like, oh, that's nice. That's nice, especially considering who I'm nominated with, especially, sure. Uh, you know, two of my comedy heroes, Steve Martin and Martin Short. So yes. That's and then of course the anxiety started. I, I immediately began to feel anxious about, oh my god, uh, when is it? Uh, what am I going to wear? Um, if I win, what am I going to say? Uh, 
am I just going to do like a thank you speech, like lots of thank yous, or am I going to do something different? Am I going to do it like Matthew McConaughey and, you know, talk about, uh, you know, there's me, there's the, the, who I'm chasing, and, you know, talking about my dad in heaven, but he's still alive, so I can't talk about my dad in heaven. Um, or am I going to do a Joe Pesci and just say, oh, well, I'm, I'm uh, it, my privilege, and then walk off? It's like, oh, Jesus. So basically, yeah. the anxiety managed to stop with the onset of Om- Omicron because they canceled the event or they delayed it. I think it's delayed. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the other consideration. Yeah. Maybe I've already lost the award when they when they hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Who knows? At this point, it could just be an emailed press release, and that's the nature of award shows in the <laughs> pandemic. It. So. Um, yeah, and there you go. That that that's uh, that's another lesson. Is uh, yeah. Act, uh, don't. Don't worry too much. Don't think too much. Think less. Think less is great advice. Well, and it also, is it true that you're not doing this for the awards, right? If an actor is getting into this to win awards, that's a bit of a backwards approach. Um, I definitely not. I definitely didn't get into it to receive awards. I, I guess, you know, having the approval of your peers, as mm. a lot of people put it, or having people in the industry salute you for your fine work or congratulate you on being brilliant i mean i've i i don't want to brag but i have won a bunch of awards but i think the last award i won was like 10 years ago so the first thing i i kind of broke out with in the uk comedy wise i won a bafta uh i won a bunch of awards british comedy award and it feels amazing and it's an amazing um privilege and it's great fun you have a party and you invite everyone that worked on the show and you kind of hire a big hotel suite and you just have a party you fill the bath full of booze and you know whether you win or lose doesn't matter you're just having a party with your kind of colleagues and best friends and and family but yeah it's 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 exciting it's nerve-wracking and it's um yeah i think every actor loves to win an award of course Um, yes First off, I have to ask, like, what? Where did this all begin? How did you know? Did you know what you were getting into pursuing the life of a writer, director, actor type? Um, well, I guess I had the great fortune of being expelled from my school, and yes. being expelled from my school allowed me to go to another school. And at this school, it was kind of a bit more artsy fartsy kind of dropouts, um, you know, the misunderstood, the rebels, the freaks, um, the rich kids. And I kind of, I met someone there who had a friend who used to go there. And he said, we should go visit my friend at drama school. And we'll go hang out there on a Friday night and go to the pub and get drunk. So I was like, okay. And I was kind of six, seven, 17 at this point. So I didn't know that I wanted to be an actor. I, I always loved doing the school plays. I was always a classroom clown. So ah. I went, we hung out. I was like, oh, this is cool. Then they were doing a summer school. I enrolled in the summer school. And I was like, oh, cool. This is cool. But still, I was, you know, lazy. I wouldn't turn up. And I kind of blew my initial chance at getting in. I auditioned again for a whole bunch of drama schools after that, RADA, Lambda, didn't get into any of them. And then I had another shot at Weber Douglas, which was the drama school I went to in the end. And I finally got in and I did two years there and I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And then the first gig I got, I was in my last year there 
I did a two-year diploma and I got a part playing a terrorist in a, a two-part TV show and I was the bad guy and I had to shave my head and wear all these army camos and learn how to fire an AK-47 and run through the woods in the dark and, you know. So I was like, this is amazing. And I, I kind of spent three weeks on location filming and I was hanging out with all these actors and, you know, we were just getting pissed up every night and it was brilliant. I was like, this is amazing. This is going to last forever. And then, you know, of course, after that, I didn't work for ages and then I did another kind of terroristy part. And then I played like a Turkish uh. pimp role and I kept playing these kind of same kind of bad, oh, I used to call them bad brown guys, which is exactly what they were. Um, sure. Which was kind of my way in. But that, you know, w with that came a kind of glass ceiling of how do I break out of this kind of drama world of acting? And I was, you know, had aspirations of kind of being funny, doing funny voices, yeah, mimicking people, doing impressions. And then that led me on to kind of trying to get a voiceover agent. I couldn't get a voiceover agent. So then I started calling up all the voiceover agents as these characters and I'd record the conversations and I'd send them to the the voiceover agents say hey that you know that uh guy from utah that called up about <laughs> wanting to do voiceovers that was me that was me oh and so it was kind of through the the, the nose the endless nose the the brick yes. walls that forced me to change my approach and forced me to kind of think out of the box so mm. i guess from an early early time in my career after I'd kind of gone, well, I'm here, I'm on set, I've got this part, it's great, this is how it's going to be for the rest of my career. When it wasn't, when it hit the skids and I thought, right, I need a different approach or I, I want to pursue voiceovers or comedy of being funny, mm. it forced me to just rethink how to do that. And, you know, thank God all those people said no to me because it kind of <laughs> made me who I am in a way. Absolutely. That's exactly what we love to hear on the podcast. Like I, cause I always ask like, how do you deal with rejection? And your point is like, it's not so much dealing with rejection is it's what do you do with the rejection and how do you then readjust your technique of getting a yes? Cause that just is going to make you a better performer. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was, it was weird. It was like playing these kind of bad Brown guys that I would play. I realized that I hit a performance wall where I would kind of end up doing the same thing over and over again. And I, I wasn't growing as an actor. Right. Um, it was always about, okay, uh, you, you're going on set. Oh, wow. Okay. Actually, I mean, early on in my career, when I was just being kind of a serious, but before I kind of went into, managed to get into comedy, it was always about spraying my personality on everyone and everything. It was about, it didn't matter about the part. I wanted people to think I was the most charismatic, funniest, most wittiest guy. And sometimes, you know, when you're 22 years old, that's all you know. You know, you're like, well, here I am. So let's make the most of it. And, you know, you forget to be considerate and you forget that actually, you know, the people that you're kind of spraying all this personality on, they might have heard it before, they might have seen it before, they work with actors a lot. You know, actors can be actory. And I guess I fell into that trap of 
um, coming out of my teens, insecure, um, mm. deciding on the person that I wanted to be and being attracted to a certain kind of personality, whether I met that person at drama school, whether it was my friends, my close friends who I felt were much more confident and much more intelligent than me. So I would kind of, I created this kind of Frankenstein personality where I would take <laughs> the best bits of all these people and then kind of incorporate it into K-Van. And I remember yeah. early on, it was after I'd, I'd had one of my first meetings with a casting director and my agent called and I was like hey you know oh yeah yeah how was that 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 I thought that went well because of course I'd go into the casting director's office you know they'd be like a 55 six year old English lady and I'd come in there you know hey what's going on oh cool you know trying to be like I don't know try I thought I was being what they wanted me to be which was this kind of chat show persona actor yeah. kind of thing a salesman maybe. yeah salesman yeah. i'd be really entertaining and funny and that's absolutely not what they wanted they didn't want that so <laughs> they don't want to listen to my jokes they don't want to listen to me going on or being funny or taking the piss out of the script or do you know what i mean mm. they just wanted me to shut the fuck up do the role and get out because they've got 50 other people to see that day exactly yeah um so then the feedback from my agent was You've got to be less arrogant. I was like, arrogant? What do you mean arrogant? Oh. I wasn't being arrogant. I was just, you know, being friendly and familiar. And and so I found that in the K-Van package, <laughs> for want of a better phrase, the K-Van package would sometimes be a bit overbearing. And so the older I got, the more I kind of scaled back on trying to project this idea of what I wanted to be and actually yeah. become more and more centered. And I think that you can only do that through age, really through experience. Um, yeah. And I think also the grind of it and realizing that that approach didn't work and wasn't working. And I'd have to start, start from scratch almost with the comedy. I was able to put that kind of energy into my characters, which is really, uh, what made me kind of burst on the scene was me playing characters. That was it. It wasn't me being me or me looking yeah. like me. It, was, it wasn't that at all. It was as far away from me as possible. Gotcha. And that was the way in. Yeah, that is sort of beautiful because beautiful uh, what you're describing is this process of like trial and error of your personality, not even <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> off camera. Like as you're also developing your on-camera per, like persona, personae, you're also like seeing what works for you and who you are so that these casting directors will keep calling you in, right? I mean, I would say that I neglected myself, my uh -huh. true self for years and years through communicating mainly, doing voices, doing impressions. Mm -hmm. You'd meet me at a house party and I wouldn't be me for the first 25 minutes. I'd be Al Pacino, right. I'd be Robert De Niro, I'd be that scene in Goodfellas. I'd be that scene in Robocop. I'd be anything sure. but me because for me, the key, the, the way into people's hearts was to make them laugh. And so I would just go all in and I wouldn't risk not doing that. I couldn't. Mm. So the more voices I do, the more impressions I do, the zanier I'd be, the more brownie points I'd win with whoever I was with. But the reality is actually when I meet people like that now, I kind of, I don't feel sorry for them. I understand. I empathize with what they're, they're doing. And yeah. I kind of want to tell them, 
you don't need to burn so many calories just existing. Yeah. yeah. What what I what, neglecting my true self, neglecting my own personality or yes. not my constructed personality, but the person I was, you know, that didn't come out for a long long time because even when I found a way in through comedy, it was voices. It was on the telephone. It was an animated show that I made with someone that I was so fortunate to meet in my life, Ed Tracy, um, mm -hmm. who I made my first show with, Phone Jacker. Mm -hmm. um, I was anyone but me. I was all these different yeah. characters. I, I came from all around the world. You know, basically I was uh, spitting out all the, the London multiculturalism that I'd inhaled living yeah. in this country all my life, living in London, and all the characters that I'd meet. And I spit them back out. And, you know, that was my USP. It was I was the guy that did all the different voices, could do all the different characters, could literally be on the phone as someone else for three hours effortlessly. Yeah. And that, that was my thing. Anything but being me. Yes. Um, right. That was the skill you were developing, not the skill of your own authenticity. I, there was an authenticity that I was free to express through those characters. Ah, okay. And I think that's something that a lot of actors find mm. is that as themselves, they don't feel that they're on a groove, they're in their yes. heads, they're neurotic, they're uptight, they're not relaxed. It's finding that relaxation, I guess, and mm. then finding that groove of the character that allows you to just feel like you're, you're just, you're, you're skating, you know, you're skiing, yeah. you're just sliding, you're, you're it's a beautiful feeling. And if you can find that in the character that you play, that's a winner, man. That's a winner. Right. It is about, of course, it's been said on this podcast before, like, use it. use. But it's almost like use the character to convey you or maybe even to learn more about yourself and whether or not that jives with the industry and what is needed in the audition room. That's the trial and error, right? That's just practice. I mean, the audition room is, I mean, the audition room feels like, a thing of the past now, like the audition mm -hmm. room. For better or worse? But usually for the worse. For me, yeah. auditions equal 10, I mean, like everyone, I'm sure, tension, adrenaline, mm. worry. Uh, then afterwards, the endless rerunning of the experience, the, the 25 yes. minutes, the, the post-audition breath, I'd find that I would... <laughs> would be my my souvenir of kind of a morning of anxiety followed by an adrenaline rush followed by extreme dry mouth and then suddenly I'm oh. out in the world again going what just happened throwing or <laughs> do I throw my sides in the bin or will I need them again mm -hmm. do I throw them in the trash or no I'll keep them in my back pocket no you know what I'm going to throw them in the trash that was terrible that was the worst audition I've ever done in my life did you ever get used to it does that become routine I can't remember. The last <laughs> audition I did in person was... No, no, no. No, I did. I actually, I did do... The, I think the last audition I did was for Cruella. Uh-huh. He was like, I, I really want to see you improvise. So I was like, great, this is great. Because I think a lot of the tension as well comes from, oh God, I've got to learn my lines and I've got my sides here. And actually, do I keep my sides with me? Do I learn mm -hmm. everything and just throw them away? Because I've auditioned people as well as do an audition for someone. And it was weird. Yeah. I found it almost off-putting that they'd learned their lines completely. I almost preferred it when they had the sides there. It was weird. Mm. But maybe that was just me. 
but it was yeah he was he said just you know improvise wildly do whatever you want and i kind of mm-hmm. i kept it focused i knew what i was going to do but it was nice it made me feel relaxed i was like you can't beat being relaxed and i think the mark of most of my auditions have been not being relaxed or thinking i was relaxed and then suddenly getting very anxious and it catching me off guard mm. because I went in relaxed, but that relaxation was based on the confidence I had that what I planned to do was going to be good. And then once I got that, when once I did that, and they were like, "Oh, could you maybe try a bit?" You, it would kind of devastate you inside a little bit because you're like, "No, no, no." When I sat on the edge of my bed and I did this this morning 16 times, I was brilliant every take. I killed it. Yeah, I killed it. And now I'm sat here, and you don't like it, and I'm like. <laughs> All my confidence has, has vanished. That's so hard, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, you don't like it. You don't like me. This is going terribly. And that's when you suddenly tense up and you're like, oh my God, this is, no, mm. no. <laughs> it's about physically relaxing. It's a physical thing. Yeah, and, and that is something that I would say I, I, I never really applied to my audition technique. I had no mm. technique. My technique was learn your lines, do them in a way that you think is cool and then go into a room and suddenly realize they want you sitting, not standing or standing, not sitting. And, oh, the person I'm doing the lines with is is terrible or yep. the person I'm that doing the happen. lines with is, is giving me way too much. And I, I think one thing I realized is that, or one thing that's helped me is the mantra is to embrace the chaos, which is basically... Mm never assume that things are going to play out the way that you've played them out in your head and get ready for things to change Mm. and get ready for things to suddenly turn on a dime you know be open to that and be ready for that um don't freak out about that but just just have it in the back of your mind that oh you might have to okay all right we're going to shift a little bit and I, i really enjoyed when um hugh grant was talking about exactly this when he had that very emotional scene in um the undoing mm-hmm. um, where they were like, no, we're going to do it at magic hour. And he was like, oh my God, that means I've, I've got to do this in an hour. Right. But that, that's, you got, that's the only way to learn. You just got to learn by, by making mistakes. Totally. Totally. And where does this all jibe with the age of self taping? I mean, talk to me about your self tape approach. Cause you can't necessarily take notes, be flexible, do improv, right? It depends who you're doing your self tape with. I mean, um, my mm. partner is also an actor and we have done many self-tapes together and it is a very fascinating, emotional, unhinged potentially experience <laughs> because especially if you're doing it with someone that you're in a relationship with, I've done self-tapes with my dad. I've done self-tapes with my sister. I've done self-tapes mm. with my friends who aren't actors I've done self-tapes with my friends who are actors and it's its own genre, I would mm. say. Doing self-tapes with her, you kind of, you realize, okay, the difference between doing a self-tape and an audition is in an audition, you've got two or three goes at it. In a self-tape, you can do it 10 to 15, 20 times. Mm. And I think that actually... What happens is, and I was talking to uh, a lovely actor who just worked on the the fourth season of uh, What We Do in the Shadows, Anoop Desai. Anoop, if you're listening, 
you're fantastic buddy and i miss you and i'll see you soon for an old-fashioned um <laughs> is that he said he gives himself only two or three goes at doing the self-tape and he will walk around out of his apartment round the block and come back into his own home as if he's going to visit a casting director. But it's actually his wife sat there and he will put himself, he will kind of replicate that emotional journey of feeling nervous, getting some adrenaline going, knowing that he's only got three goes at it. And I thought Mm. that was brilliant. That's a brilliant, he's created, he's, he's created this kind of short film for himself in which he is the star and the short film is called The Self Tape. And they got to do it in one take or three takes and that's it. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a brilliant idea because I think what happens with self tapes is, you know, you can do it a million ways, a million times, or until you have an argument, which we usually do because this kind of suddenly highly emotional state of do or die. Oh my God, this is it. I've got to get this. It's got to be right. I'm not sending it off if it's not right. Fuck you. Stop giving me notes. Just let me can do it and you've got these this it's crazy and then once it's done it's done and then you're like baby i'm sorry i i, I should have and they're like no no no, it's fine darling it's it's gonna be cool it's great and then you know two days later what do you think of self-tape i hate it it's uh, terrible you're like for fuck's sake you can't win no it is traumatic yeah it is traumatic but with the self-tapes i would say two oh just over two years ago i made the decision to do something about what actors could do when they need someone to self-tape with, when they don't have someone to self-tape with. Right. I went about creating an app. What is the app called and how do we find it and what does it do? Well, depending on when you listen to this, um, Mm. I would say it's in the final, final stages of um, its development. I'd never developed an app before. I've made TV shows before, and I would say that this is weirdly, this weirdly felt familiar. So basically, about five years ago, uh, my buddy, who's an actor, he called me up. Okay, can you help me with the self-tape? I can't. I'm sorry. I'm busy. However, I think my other friend is available. So Mm. I called up my other friend. I said, hey, listen, Hari wants a self-tape. Are you around? Okay. So then I hooked them up and they did a self-tape together. Hari calls me again a month later. Okay, you ran for a self-tape? I'm not. Maybe Danny's available again. Danny was the guy who helped Hari out in the first place. I call up Danny. Danny, are you around for Hari? I am. Then he says, I should be charging for this. And I thought, uh-huh. yeah, you should be. There should be an app. Is there an app? There isn't an app. I could mm. make an app. And I know exactly who I'm targeting this app for. Me. And suddenly it became clear. And I was like, I'm going to develop an app. This was five years ago. Mm. Finally, just over two years ago, I decided to do something about it. I was in Toronto. I was filming what we did doing the shadow season two, 2019. I was like, this town's full of tech geeks. Let's find some and let's start a conversation. Mm. Little did I realize over two years later, I'm still not finished on this app. Because you realize when you get started on an app and the beauty of an app that you use is that the app behaves in the way that you need it to behave. It's intuitive. Mm -hmm. And as an actor, I know that you are the fussiest motherfucker on the planet. And how many actors does it take to change a light bulb? Two. 
one to change the light bulb and the other to tell the other actor how he would have done it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I'm basically, I've got my work cut out here. I am making an app for very particular, very fussy people, but that's also me. Yes, and you know. Yeah. It's been an incredible journey. It's called Taper, T-A-P-R. Gotcha. You can use it to find someone to self-tape with. And if you wanted, if you want to hire someone for an hour, for four hours, if you want to use it online only, if you've got Zoom and you want them to turn up on your Zoom, you can do that. It mm. basically caters to your exact needs. If you haven't got a tripod, click on tripod. If you need a camera, click on the camera. It will bring you actors that are in your area that are in another country, but you can book their time and do a great self-tape. On the other hand, if you're an actor who is unemployed, who wants to help other actors, you can go on the app as well and make yourself available. Very cool. simply, okay. very easily. Book your time in up to 10 days in advance and wait to get hired and make some extra dough. And so that's what I've been creating, basically. Yeah, that sounds great. I think it would just be a very useful tool for my fellow acting community members great. to use and enjoy and take the Love stress it. out of, you know, doing a self-tape because self-tapes can be fucking stressful. And that's such a good point. Like the you describing the details of the stress and of the anxiety of both in-person and self-tapes auditions, I think that's something that every working actor listening to this can relate to. And it's been said on this podcast before, like, do not have a plan B. If you have a plan B, go do that instead of acting. Like, it sounds like what you just <laughs> described is the process of like, you never had a plan B, you're, you're hooked. If you are someone who also has a hobby or somebody to, as you say, keep you busy, to keep you sane even, for sure do that and develop that outside of the acting world. I mean, who's got the best plan B that you've ever talked to? <laughs> I mean, I think that the actors who are also writing, who are also creating their own material are always the best, well, I don't know about best adjusted, but I think that um, the actors who can talk about having agency over their careers are the ones that are also on the side while they're auditioning for other people's roles, they're also creating their own roles. Okay, well, I'll tell you about that. My experience of that is that I also felt that way Mm -hmm. um, I felt that I could safeguard any kind of rejection from the industry by creating my own work. And for many years, that's exactly what I did. And actually, it was yeah. that that saved me, really, and broke me into comedy. It was doing my own stuff, mm -hmm. albeit with some brilliant people. But it was about my engine working on my fuel, creating my own exhaust fumes that would... Yeah intoxicate everyone around me and I loved that hmm. then I had a, a bunch of things that I did that didn't go anywhere a bunch of pilots that I made that weren't commissioned but still the engine the creativity engine was was burring away writing writing ideas ideas oh this is a good idea that's a good idea what would ultimately come of that kind of endless little burst of endorphins that I would basically be creating in my mind by thinking, oh, that's a great idea. Writing, 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 writing. Mm. That would run out of steam. And actually I would end up giving myself serious doses of depression because of that. And it wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago when I was in Canada, I was like, I don't get depressed when I'm out here. Even though I'm filming, 
Mm. What am I not doing? I'm not thinking of ideas all the time and ah. walking outside and suddenly not being having to stop and write down something because a bird tweeted and I thought, oh, that's a good idea for a, for a Disney thing. The bird that fell out the tree and, you know, made friends with the fox or, do you know what I mean? I was like, I'm, I'm in this kind of realm of madness. But what I'm actually mm -hmm. doing is I'm getting high off these ideas that I keep finding miraculously kind of following them to a certain point, then realizing I've either got to go sell this idea or actually I'm bored of this idea. I'll just think mm. of another new idea. And I was giving myself depression because of it, because of the way that my brain chemistry was going up and down, up and down. And my drug mm. was good ideas, was comedy ideas, was comedy characters. So I've kind of learned to be more mindful of going, well, in my downtime, I'm going to start thinking of movie ideas and scripts and this and that, you know, unless someone's going to pay me and put me in a room to do that mm. in my own time, I'm actually going to do less of that Yeah, because I can, that's my that's luxury. Great. But I also found that it was affecting my mental health because of it. So I'm now less indulging in ideas, mm. ideas, ideas, funny ideas. Oh my God, I'm a genius. Oh, these are brilliant. Oh, wow. I can't wait to tell someone about these ideas. <laughs> kind of doing more real world stuff. Yeah. Which is why I do. It's more of like a, it's almost like a work life distinction where you're not going to be in work mode all the time. It's not. I healthy. guess. Yeah. Which is difficult to distinguish because it is kind of, you know, for us, it's, it's blurry. It's, it's one big blur. It is for actors, especially. It really is. So, yeah. This is all really, I really think working actors, I mean, were anyone with, any similarity to your career or your background or your training or your instincts is going to get so much out of this. So thank you. Oh no, please. Can I, can I ask you about Nandor, the relentless? Of course. Because I love asking actors to describe their characters. And I feel like this is a really special one. How, how would you describe him, especially over, I guess now four seasons of this amazing show? Well, Nandor is very close to my heart. Mm. Um, I'd say he's very close to me in a lot of ways and you know so close that when i'm playing him when i'm on set as him i'm you know i'm in a very vulnerable state and uh -huh. i've grown to really love that feeling and when i'm on set when i walk on set i usually you know the voice i'll kind of almost keep the voice I mean, I know it's weird for some people who love the show and then they hear me talk in this voice. They're like, who the hell's this guy? <laughs> you know. And actually, again, it is sometimes easier for me to, you know, just be Nandor and, you know, just fall into Nandor. And, you know, when we have to do Comic-Cons, I mean, we have, we, we were going to do another Comic-Con. We did one Comic-Con this year in New York or last year. I couldn't attend, but... I almost just didn't want to do it as me. I just wanted to be Nandor. I was like, this is what mm. the fans want. They don't want to meet me. They want to meet Nandor. I would want to meet Nandor. But I found the whole journey of playing him, you know, from day one, when I walked on that set and Taika and Jermaine are there and they're the guys that I, who made that movie that I loved and now mm. I'm in their new show and I'm playing a vampire like they do. And it was terrifying, man. It was, it was, oh, sure. and I'm like, these guys know this character better than I do. I don't know this character yet in the way that they know this character. Oh my God. And I've got to now pop out of a coffin, you know, in the way that they did in the movie. I'm like, oh Jesus Christ, this is, 
if I can get through this week, man, then I've done, I've achieved something, you know. And I remember after the first day, I went back to the hotel and I just burst into tears because I thought I'm, wow. I've, I've messed this up. I've messed this up. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm anxious. I'm on edge. They keep changing things and, and suggesting things. And I didn't realize, you know, that's how they work. They watch you work. And, and meanwhile, their heads are just firework displays of ideas. And then they just yeah. throw lines at you and you just got to catch them you know, and then say them because they just said it. And it's so funny when they said it and you're like, well, I've got to say it like that because they've just come up with it and I've just got to do it. So, you know, it was baptism by fire in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Four seasons later, what a journey Nando's been on. And, you know, all Mm. credit to the writers for just allowing me to go on that journey and have so much fun and do all these different things and act with all these other amazing actors that I work with. Yeah. And play all the different levels of comedy and melancholy. And I can be as depressed as Nandor as I've been in my life and mope around mm. and snap at people and be angry and be upset and be emotional. He's so emotional. Fuck. Um, it's true. Yeah. As am I. You know, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm melodramatic. <laughs> and then I, I don't mean it. And I see myself be melodramatic and I don't. I'm not like, I don't have both feet in the melodrama. I've only got well, kind of a, a couple of toes in, but I ah. still have to kind of do that. Yeah. And then I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. He's super far removed from you because he's a vampire and he's, he's silly and melodramatic, but it's super cool to hear that like, you also have to steep yourself in him and find the overlaps between you and him. And there's a lot. There is a lot. You know, he is... He's a warrior, he's big and scary, but he's a puppy inside. And I would yeah. say I'm the same in that way. He's super <laughs> sensitive and, you know, you wouldn't want to mess with him at the same time. Mm-hmm. And for him to walk in a room, everyone's like, whoa, who's this guy? And, you know, going back to what I was saying initially, I didn't have a sense of how I physically came across. And so when I did the personality thing to go with this six foot one guy, you know, tall, dark, and mildly handsome. I was like, wow, this is way too overpowering. You know, be a gentle giant. I would never Mm. risk that. I would never risk someone thinking I was shy. I would never risk someone thinking I wasn't confident. I would never risk someone thinking I was vulnerable or afraid. But I was all these things. And with Nandor, he is all these things. He's also brave. He's also a coward. He's also a pussy. He's also a warrior. And I'm like, you know what? He's a human. Even though he's a vampire, he's one of the most fully rounded human characters I've ever played. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, what a role, man. I I honestly believe this is going to be one of the best roles of my career, if not the best role, because it's a gift, man. It's It's an absolute gift of a role. For me, it's perfect. It's perfect. Maybe even therapeutic for you to play all of oh, that. Oh man, for sure, totally. <laughs> you know, and, and with with the people I get to play with, you know, Harvey yeah. Guillen. I didn't know that we'd have chemistry. They didn't know. We didn't do a screen test. I got hired, <sighs> and then he got hired after a wine and cheese night. You know, I mean, that's the thing that I I always want to ask about chemistry and how it works, and it that's it's there's never an answer for for something like that. You two just had to be. It the fates, the, the stars aligned with you two. <laughs> all of us, all of us. The chemistry yeah. that you see in the, ca- in the house, that there is a mirroring in reality. 
That's so sweet. Yeah. You know, and it just works, I guess, for as long as they let it. Absolutely. Can I ask about the character, kind of getting into character or the building process? I mean, you mentioned like being, staying in his voice. I assume the fangs have a lot to do with it. Um, where does physicality and kind of building it from a physical perspective for this role, but maybe for any role? Um, yeah. So I've always, from early on as an actor, you get a part. If you're lucky enough to get a part, you get a part. And then you go and have a, a chat about what you're going to look like what your hair's going to be like, what the makeup's mm. going to be like. And a lot of the time, it's what they make you wear or what they put you in. And that's it. And sometimes that can feel really wrong. And sometimes you feel like you're stepping out of your lane by expressing that. Because, you know, yeah. actors as well, it's you're always battling against, oh, he's difficult. Oh, he's too, he's too particular. Oh, sure. she, she's, oh, she's a diva. Oh, she wants it like that. Oh, she's a diva. It's like everyone's ready to put a label on you quite quickly. And I think that's unfair a lot of the time because actors at the end of the day are the ones in front of the camera and you just got to feel comfortable. Mm. And yes, sometimes you can make a decision about how you want your character to be, but actually what they want you to do instead, you should also be open to that because it actually takes you out of your comfort zone a little bit. And actually mm. you might find something new there. Great. Some of the time, no, you just, it, it feels right. It clicks. And that is that it's a feeling. And there's, there's no getting around that. Um, with Nandor, the audition email said, you can wear fangs if you want. Right. So I went and bought <laughs> some fangs. And That's cool. There was no specific, uh, specificity on accent. I just read the lines and thought, mm, I've seen the movie. Okay, this could work. The Nando voice. And then my hair, I just thought, yeah, this is how I want to wear it. And I wore it as you have it in the in the show hmm. uh, with a few fantastic tweaks from wonderful Tamara Harod, uh, a hair designer, who ties the top of my head in this bun, which she calls the cat butt, which is <laughs> a, a cat lover. And... Those things, along with the amazing costumes, the leathers, yeah. the big boots, the capes, the, tr the, 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 the leather rets, the leather vests, all of that add to the feeling of being yeah. Nandor, absolutely 100%. With the voice and the hair and the fangs and that, I'm, I'm ready to rock, man. I'm yeah. ready to go. I'm ready for battle. And I've never felt that in character, but also in a way protected and also vulnerable because of the character itself, because of the personality of the character. It's a beautiful mix of the two. For me, especially, who really found his voice doing other voices, yes. not even in vision. And then when I was in vision doing the other characters, I was in heavy prosthetics, which I loved. Yeah. And now this, as me, where you see me, I have that same feeling of freedom playing Nandor, which is a beautiful feeling. And not every, that's a gift as well. And for all the actors listening, you know, finding that feeling is very important. You might not get there. You might mm. feel very uncomfortable, but that is also an indicator that you need to do, make a few little changes and find mm. that groove. The trouble is when you're on set, and people are telling you what to do and where to stand and what to say and how to look. And, you know, 
giving you direction and this and that. It's difficult. It's a hard place to suddenly go, oh no, I need to shift. I need to find it. I've got two takes and we're moving on to something else. Yeah. So it's hard, man. It's definitely hard, but relaxation and finding that, listening to your body and listening to your heart is very important. I know it's it's cliche to listen to your heart, but that's exactly <laughs> what you've got to do. Yeah, harness that vulnerability and in, in the process and in the in the in character. Yeah, yeah, harness it hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's a really clear way of putting it. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. This is so great. Can I ask you those silly actorly questions that we ask everybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah please. <laughs> um, how first of all, how did you get your SAG after card? <laughs> Good lawyer. <laughs> in terms of. <laughs> oh, in terms of <laughs> jumping across the pond and doing US uh, stuff? Actually, it was because I got the part in Shadows that they were like, okay, you need to okay. be a member of SAG, otherwise you're not getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, give me that card. It's like, you're going to need a social security number. I was like, oh, well, how do I do that? And go to the social security <laughs> office. It's like Nandor becoming an American citizen. I promised my partner I wouldn't do any voices on this. She was like, I did one other okay. podcast a while ago. She's like, you did too many voices. I was like, I was talking for three hours. Three no, hours. And they cut it down to one hour. I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't do any voices. Well, I've done one voice now. And I still haven't done Nando. So. No, I love it. It's a podcast. We need to, the voice actors are going to, yeah, we got to. We gotta get that voice. I actor thought stuff. you was good, man. You do one voice, man. You do the goddamn Nandor <laughs> voice, man. I can do a Nandor voice better than that. Hey, guy. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Suck my balls. Oh <laughs> bleep that. Um, There's something weird with the way that you shape your mouth around his vowels. That that is Nandor to me, and oh, I, really? that's why I ask about the fangs. Like, I feel like I mean, you're obviously doing it without the fangs, but. The fangs definitely give, uh, they give you yeah. a bit of a lisp, a little bit, but um, apart from that, it's all, it, it's it's actually strange to do the, because I haven't, because I've been doing it every day for three months yeah. and, I, and then suddenly I haven't done it for three weeks. So it is always strange to go back to it, but not really. Yeah. It's like coming home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it gives me like a warm feeling too. I don't know. Oh, it's good. like he's. He's really, yeah, he's close to me too. I feel like what you're saying about his, like, his vulnerability and how it's not a contradiction that he's also this big, tough, scary guy. Like, yeah. I feel that. <laughs> you know, actually, I was watching Toy Story and mm. the character that reminds me of Nandor, I was like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> but he does, is the is T-Rex. Uh-huh. Oh, God, no, what am I going to do? You know, because he's always worrying He's always neurotic. He wants to be brave and he wants to do the right thing. And he's big and scary, but then he's not. Yeah. But he's super awkward. Yeah. Yeah, he's super awkward. I was like, oh my, that's Nando. Nando's, if Nando was in Toy Story, he'd be the T Rex. <laughs> Wait, so, okay, so going off of that, like, what is one performance you think every actor should see? And maybe this is specifically about voice acting. Like, is there, are there voice, uh, voiceover performances you think aspiring voice artists should listen to? Um, I mean, I would say. Because people have said Tom Hanks and Tim Allen in the, in the Toy Story. Yeah, I mean, sure. they're brilliant. I think actually all the, vo the, all the voices in that are, I mean, it's Toy Story, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I guess a lot of brilliant voice acting is also kind of attached to motion capture. So, you know, mm -hmm. Andy Serkis, of course. Yeah. Um, 
Because, I, you know, when you're doing voice acting alone, you know, if I'm doing voiceovers or cartoons, then, yeah, I'm I'm kind of, I'm still performing as the character. Mm. Um, I'm just standing very still doing it, but I'm still kind of, it's there, you know, the facial expressions and everything mm. is there. I mean, one performance that I think every actor should watch. I tell you what I keep coming back to, movies that I keep coming back to, and I guess I enjoy the performances immensely every time too i would say the wrestler mickey rourke oh um and actually marissa tomei in that is yeah i mean everyone's brilliant but for me mickey rourke and marissa tomei are the two kind of just that's a great one yeah and you know also you know soaking up any movie that i like just trying to find everything about the you know the, the behind the scenes and all that and and Darren Aronofsky really pushing Mickey Rourke past his kind of, okay, so we don't do takes, so that's good now. We don't do, we're good, yeah, we're good. You know, he's like, really bring it, really bring it. Yeah. You know, he wants yeah. me to bring it. You know, he said, really bring this one. You know, and he's making him like, he's not, he's keeping him there till five in the morning, you know, but he's bringing his best work. And yeah, it's kind of pushing through that pain barrier. So that's a good one. Yeah. And then I would say, Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club as well. I love, I love that movie too. You know, he's just outstanding in that. And he's kind he of, really you is. know, he's unhinged almost, but through not eating, I guess, or eating very little. And actually, one thing I would say, I'm not advocating kind of starving yourself on set, but um, I kind of stopped eating breakfast. And I found I was much more effective at learning my lines, remembering my lines, keeping my energy up. So I would say, yeah, I've, I'm an advocate of intermittent fasting and it's really helped me feel light on my feet and very energetic during a busy workday. And my stress levels were kind of zero. And I was able to kind of shapeshift and adapt to whatever was changing and I just felt full of energy. And I think that's really important for actors. And it reminds me of that scene. It's weird. When I'm in Toronto, I, I like to watch new things with my partner. Otherwise, if I'm in Toronto on my own, I won't watch any new stuff. I'll just watch old stuff. So I mm. watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about 20 times when I was out mm. there, which I love. Um, and those that's full of brilliant performances from everyone. And I would say actually that Margot Robbie's performance, even though she doesn't yes. say a lot, yes. those are the hardest things for me where you're like, you're not speaking and you've just got to convey an emotion and a thought just through a camera pointed in your face. Mm -hmm. And you're driving your car and you're thinking about this and you're thinking about that. That's the difficult stuff. The talking, that's the easy bit. It's the <laughs> not talking that for me is the, is the challenge. And, you know, yeah. those are the things... The close-ups, you know, the crying scenes, the the moments of when you get told some bad news or when you get told some good news. That, that, those are the bits I don't want to know about. Those are like, oh, my God, please give that to someone else. Yeah. That's the hardest. But, you know, yeah. if you can watch an actor do that in a movie, watch it again and actually mm. realize what it was about their performance that made you realize how they felt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's great. Wonderful. Okay, I have to let you go soon. So last question, um, back to auditions. I, I mean, you know, I'm going to ask, what is your worst audition horror story? Wow, my worst audition <laughs> horror story. 
You've relived your trauma plenty here, but <laughs> um, I auditioned for Danny Boyle once, and it was a recall, and it was for a TV show, and it was for a part. And he'd seen a movie that I'd been in called Four Lions, which he mm-hmm. enjoyed and was very complimentary about. And I realized that I had a particular way of playing funny. And I thought when I was playing funny that I was bulletproof and that it was just brilliant because I was playing funny. I was doing the lines in a funny way and I was mugging and pulling faces and doing all these things that I thought might have worked at some point. And so I just replicated them. And he called me out on it. Mm. And he said, I know you're a very funny actor and I've enjoyed your performances very much, but I feel that you're giving me a funny performance and I want you to not do that. And it was actually probably one of the best auditions I'd ever experience because you know i learned a very important lesson in that mm-hmm. moment is that never rely on what you think is good and just kind of yeah. feel your way through things and especially for for comedy you know jermaine was another one that would always kick the shit out of me if he thought i was kind of being too big or you know it, was, it became a running joke where you know i'd be like oh i'll do it less big less big yeah 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 yeah, but keep it smaller. And, you know, it's the, it's the trap that a comedian, a comic actor will fall into. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is part of the pleasure of comic actors finding um, a new lease of life in drama. Actually, Steve Carell, I would say, is another one. Him and Foxcatcher. Actually, or everyone in Foxcatcher. Mark Ruffalo, mm-hmm. especially, is an incredible actor. And I love mm-hmm. how relaxed he is when he's working. He's so relaxed. Mm. It's brilliant. And I think that's where the kind of, you know, the complaints about actors mumbling comes from. Because I think actually what they're trying to do is to be so relaxed and so natural that they forget to give it just a little click. You need to give it a little Mm. click. But they found that relaxation in them. But now maybe just bump it up a bit so we know what the Mm. f*** we're saying. So, yeah. Thank you, Danny, if you're listening. It was yeah. a hard lesson to, to hear, but I'm glad you, you said it. You really just brought it full circle because it goes straight back to this idea of creating these wacky out there characters that are distanced from you and not harnessing you yourself mm. as, a, as a defense mechanism. Totally. <laughs> and it's, it is about finding, yeah, relaxation, naturalism, but also bumping it up to be comedic. And that is that is the job of every audition, and I think of of many many roles when you actually book the job. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Gosh, thank you so much, Kevin. This is so fun, and I knew it would be so revealing. And I know that you are so good at talking about the craft, but you just killed it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It was lovely to speak to you. Thanks for having me. is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. 
Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.